Happy Thanksgiving as we approach. Uh, I'm going to get right into it because Pastor Jeff said last week that we were going to get done early this week. So, you did. So I'm going to try my best. Uh, so if you bow your heads with me, let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you and have hearts of gratitude, Lord. Uh, that doesn't come naturally or easy for most of us. And we just pray now as we think through this concept that it would be more than just something that would go through our minds, but it would be something that would transform our hearts. And we just lift this uh, service to you and pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, the reading of your word and its application. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I titled this sermon, Jesus and Thanksgiving. I thought I'd just keep it simple as far as titles go. Um, and I wanted to start with the proclamation that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1863. So, you know, for those of you who love history, this was just a few months after Gettysburg, probably one of the most bloodiest battles in one of the bloodiest wars that the U.S. has ever fought. So you take every foreign war we've ever had, we lost more people in the Civil War than all those wars combined. And so Abraham Lincoln's looking uphill, really. And uh, he's not even sure, according to Mr. Barton, he wasn't even sure if he was going to win the next election. Because obviously this war had been pretty horrible. And so he's looking at a potential of seeing a country at war actually end up being divided. And yet, in October of 1863, he says this. And I just want you to listen to the ways that he says Thanksgiving here. All right? This is what he wrote. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggression. Peace has been preserved with all the nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed. And harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of war. And while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies, needful diversions of wealth and strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense has not stopped the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlement, and the mines, as well of iron and coal and of precious metals, have yielded more abundantly than ever before. Population has steadily increased, this would be in parentheses, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp and the war, and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of the strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised, nor has mortal hand worked any of these things out. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sin, has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that we should solemnly, reverently, gratefully acknowledge with one heart, one voice of the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and also those who are at sea and in foreign lands, that we set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficial Father who dwells in heaven. And I recommend to them that we, while offering up justly do him for these things, such singular deliverance and blessings with humble repentance for our nationals, national perseverance and disobedience, um, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, or sufferers in this lamentable civil strife in which we are engaged and fervently implore the Almighty's hand to heal the wounds of this nation and restore us as may be consistent with the divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility to the Union. I'm glad we don't listen to that all the time, right? It's like so much in there, and he's famous for having very succinct statements. But here's what he was saying. He's in the midst of a dark day, and I just want you to think about all the ways that he was thankful. He's like, um, our country's still growing, and our fields are still producing, and even though we have all this stuff going on, the laws are still being obeyed, and we haven't fallen into chaos. And so in the midst of these dark points, he says something remarkable. 
he says, let's create a holiday that's all about Thanksgiving. And that holiday has instituted from that time until now. And it came in a very dark point. And here's the question that we're going to start to wrestle with. How can we be thankful in dark points? And I think the key here is that he sees everything as coming through the hands of God. And so what I want to do this morning is unpack the idea of gratitude and to see Christ through it and to see the necessity of gratitude, what poisons gratitude, and how we can give thanks even when it's hard. All right, so that's my, my three uh, approaches here. So the first one is the necessity of gratitude. Um, I interviewed a lot of people ranging from like my small children all the way up to Janet Ludlam. So we're going to be pulling some of these interviews in. But I want you to have the same opportunity that I had when I was sitting there talking with people. So in your notes there, I have this neighbor share thing. Okay, so here's the question. I want you to turn to a person near you if you can. I'm going to give like 45 seconds maybe or a minute. And I want you to answer this question to a person near you. Or if there's no one near you, you can just think about it for yourself. Is it okay not to give thanks? And why? All right, so I'm going to set my watch so I don't go over. All right, one minute. Is it okay to not give thanks and why? Go. All right, 30 more seconds. You can switch it up. All right. Um, how many of you in your discussion found that it is, for the most part, not really okay not to say thank you when someone has done something for you? If you can just show your hands. Yeah, it's a double negative, sorry. <laughs> that you should say thank you most all the time when something's done. All right, we're good as we come to? Now, here's the thing as we think about this question. Why? Is it just a social nicety? Is it just something that we do and it's something we teach our children and it just becomes a habit? Or is there more there? And I think for most of us, we know there's like a loop that's been opened and thanks thankfulness closes that loop. Or it's like a burr that's underneath of a saddle and you just, you know, you see someone get something great and then they don't say thank you. There's just like this impetus to say, what do you say, right? And you do that with every small child. And I think we have to do it with our hearts because as much as it is a, a social nicety, there's so much more to it. And what I want to do is, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke 17. We're going to be in two different passages today. Uh, and this is probably the most famous of Thanksgiving kind of passages in the opposite kind of a way. So Luke 17, 11 through 19. Um, I'm just going to read these passages and then just be thinking about what's wrong with this story. All right. <clears throat> now, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. This is probably the last couple weeks of his life. And here's where he is. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And they went, and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And this is the key. And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And so here we have this example of thanklessness. 
And we read this passage and we're like, what's going on here? We have these 10 people whose world was wrecked because leprosy was the kind of a thing that didn't just hurt your physical body. It made you a social outcast. You could never talk to another person who didn't have leprosy. And you see that here. You have this group of 10. Chances are pretty good. Nine of them were Jewish. One of them is a Samaritan. And if you know anything about that culture, to have these people mixing never happened. But because of the nature of leprosy, it forced them together. And so Jesus walks up, he's walking to town. These people say, have mercy on us. He heals them. On their way there, they're healed. But only one person comes back. And the person who comes back makes it maybe the most remarkable of them all. Because he's the despised Samaritan. And he's recognizing very quickly, and here's our first lesson about gratitude. If you think you deserve something, you won't be grateful for it. Because you think it's owed to you. And this Samaritan knew a Jewish prophet owes him nothing, and maybe even less than nothing. Because here was like a common thing for the Jewish perspective. Samaritans were publicly cursed in their synagogues. They could not ever be converted to Judaism. And they were excluded from the afterlife, as if a Jewish person could do that. But that was their perspective. And this Samaritan knew that. And so this Jewish prophet heals him of his disease, and he's the only one to come back. And I think we start to see here. The unexpected example of the Samaritan shows us this. Gratitude leads to humility, and humility leads to grace. I'm gonna say that again. Gratitude leads to humility, and humility leads to grace. And if you notice our word gratitude, it's built on the Latin word for grace. So I just wanna show you the pattern, right? Gratitude, it's gonna to lead to humility. Humility leads to grace. Grace leads to more gratitude. And the cycle continues. Because here's what this man got. He realized, I don't deserve this, and I've been healed. And he goes to Jesus in his humility and says, thank you, and falls down. And what does he receive? He receives an even deeper cleansing. Because he says, your faith has made you well. You are now right with God. Not just physically healthy, but right with God. And that Samaritan how had an even bigger reason to give thanks to God. Because the cycle continues. And so gratitude is one of the things that causes us to grow in our humbleness. And the Bible tells us that God wants to give grace to the humble. And that's what Thanksgiving starts to cause us to evaluate. I don't deserve everything that I have. It's not something that naturally it should come to me. And so this man was on his way to the priests, and then he decides to come back to the high priest. And in that coming to the high priest, he finds true healing, not just of his body, but of his soul. And that gratitude is the beginning point of that. And so I was, you know, again, talking to all my different students, and one of them said that when he realized that Santa wasn't real, his perspective on life changed. Now, the thing that changed in him was not, you know, that his world fell apart because there's no Santa Claus. What happened to him is he realized that all these Christmases, he'd been getting gifts from his parents. And he realized that it, nothing comes from, you know, everything costs something. And everything he'd been given was grace. And it changed his perspective about how he chose to see his parents. Now, for us, we come to the reality that God exists, and that means everything I have came from him. Even my abilities and natural tendencies to succeed, or whatever we may naturally think we have, how much of that is a gift from God? The opportunities that if that person hadn't called at that time, or you made that random connection, this door would have never been opened. Or that ability of your mind to create things, 
Did you like pick that on the day you were born? Like, hmm, I think I'm gonna go with being intelligent. As if you had something to do with it, right? So gratitude is the recognition that everything I have, natural and circumstantial and miraculous, is all because God chooses to give it and not because I'm deserving. And that is a pretty challenging thought for us because this man comes to that reality. And because of that, he goes even deeper in his understanding of who God is. So gratitude is something that is supposed to spiritually encourage us to know God more and to keep pursuing him, to recognize that fact. But there's something more to gratitude. It also has some earthly benefits. Um, they did a study in Harvard in 2003, and what they did is they had three groups of people, and they challenged them to say this, basically. I want you to record for 10 weeks. Group A was recording only positive things. They had to come up with just the blessings of the day and give thanks for those things in their journal. The second group of people had to focus on the negative things that happened in their day, and so they only wrote down all the bad stuff. And then the third group of people just had a general journal, you know, like, dear diary, woke up today, went to work. And then they studied those people for 10 weeks, had them like answer questions, and after 10 weeks, they found that the first group of people went to the doctor less, they exercised a lot more, reported being 25% happier after the 10 weeks than they were before the 10 weeks, and found that their relationships with each other were at more of a peace and less at odds. And here's, and then, okay, so all that's fine and good, right? That there's earthly reasons to be thankful, but I want, you, I want to read the last concluding statement of that, those Harvard, you know, smart guys. Okay, they realized that they were not the sole cause of the good in their lives. I want to say that again. These Harvard grads, or these Harvard study people, researchers, here's what they concluded about this study. These people that were blessed realized that they were not the sole cause of the good in their lives. You see where that gratitude and humility starts to come back into play and how that starts to impact us? But see, Christ here handles something else here. He handles the ungratitude, the unthankful hearts of these people. Okay, so the one guy is blessed. He comes back and he says, thank you, Lord, for blessing me. And then he is healed even deeper. But what happened to the other nine? Now, if you were Jesus, you know, don't raise your hand because we don't want to like reveal our sinfulness in church, right? Because that's not the place. Just kidding. How many of us would be like, maybe I should take that uh, thing away from them? You know, they're like, we're healed. Get to this priest. We're not healed anymore. Like how many of us would be tempted that when someone isn't grateful that we're at least like, maybe I should have taken that thing away that they did not say thanks for. But what do we notice here? Jesus doesn't do that the 90% who were not thankful still received the blessing of healing, but they missed out on something more. They missed out on something deeper. And so here we see that Jesus asked the question, wasn't there nine more people healed? And he's concerned not because he's not getting recognized or he's vain and wants people to say thank you. He's concerned because he's the great physician and he knows something. A lack of thankfulness in the heart is a sign of a bigger problem. And that's what the great physician is after. And that's what our high priest wants to change. Now, I did a little survey, so you didn't know you were getting studied as you came in this morning, but I asked all the ushers to record how many people said thank you for their bulletin. You'll be glad to know that we are at a 52.9%. So Rex does the math to the end, right? He didn't just say 50% or 53%, 52.9% of you said thanks for a bulletin, right? So that's encouraging. Now, here's the challenge for us. Can we grow in our thankfulness? Because as we do, our humility grows, our receiving of grace grows, and that cycle just continues on. So maybe one day we'll do it again and see if we're at 100%. No, I'm just kidding. So here's our challenge. The great physician sees a problem here. There are nine people who were obviously happy 
but maybe they didn't really appreciate what had been done for them. And now we want to evaluate what is the thing that poisons us, the poisoning of gratitude in our hearts. What is the thing that takes it away? So um, I asked my, my kids, and I asked Cademan specifically, I said, what is the worst part about getting new presents? All right, Cademan said two things. One, I have to get rid of an old thing. And so Cademan likes his, his toys, and getting rid of one of them is like pulling teeth. The second thing he said he doesn't like is, anyone want to take a guess? Writing thank you. Did you say writing thank yous? Well, we're going to go with that. Great job, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> Writing thank yous was his second reason. So here's my last uh, attempt at group engagement. All right, so I want you to turn to your, your partner or your neighbor, and here's what I want you to ask. What is the thing that robs us of gratitude? What is the thing that steals gratitude right out of our hearts? Go. All right, 10 more seconds. How many of you had pride or selfishness near the top of that list of why are the things that rob us of gratitude? Yeah, and then my, my impromptu study, selfishness and pride and their little sister envy are the, the things that rob us of gratitude. Because you can't ask for thanks, you can't be thankful for stuff that you think you deserve. And here's the issue with pride. Pride fights to believe that we are worth everything that we have. Pride wants glory and recognition for self. And thanksgiving, by definition, is bringing glory and recognition to somebody else. It's also recognizing that I'm needy and that I needed something or was given something that I didn't even recognize that I needed. And so thankfulness fights very much against pride. It really comes right against our hearts here because thankfulness is recognizing in a public way. It's saying thank you. It's voicing something that I've come to realize. I have received something that I didn't deserve or that I needed. And we say thank you. But pride can camouflage. And the, the crazy thing about pride is it can be so insidious that it can get into even our worship of God. And it can change our perspective, even of the idea of giving thanks. Now, um, there's a passage in Psalm 50, and we're gonna, I'm going read to that, read that to you in just a second. But here's what was happening. The, the Jews had been given a certain set of commands. And one of the sacrifices that they could offer was the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And they could do that anytime they wanted to. And it was an offering of an animal, the killing of an animal on behalf to God, saying, God, thank you for all that you've given to me. And this... This sacrifice was a thank you. It was recognizing that every single thing I have comes from God. But I want you to notice what God has to say in Psalm 50 because a subtle shift had started to happen in the hearts of the people. They began to think that my sacrifice is actually building up God. It's providing something for him. It's giving him something that, that he didn't have. And God is now a little bit incomplete without my thanksgiving. And he needs something from us. And so Psalm 50, God's going to address the people concerning worship. And Psalm 50, um, starting with verse uh, 8, here's what he says. 
He says, I will bring no charge against you concerning your sacrifice or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. But here's where it changes. He's like, you give me tons of sacrifices. There's animals burning all the time in front of me. But here's what he says. I have no need of bulls from your stall or of goats from your pen. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the air, in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because here's what the people started to think. By me giving God my sacrifice, it's like building him up. And he's like, everything you would possibly ever give to me, I already have. And so it's kind of like this mentality that I think can, come, can kind of come into our hearts and minds is when I tithe, what am I doing? Giving God money so that he can work or something. Like he needs it. And, if we, and we use that language sometimes and it's so wrong. God needs me too. God doesn't need us to do anything. He's God. The giver of everything we have comes straight from him. And so if we've ever thought that my money is something that God needs, we've kind of fallen into this same trap. Like he can't work without my cash flow or without my energy. But again, if we drop back and take an evaluation, every single bull the Jews would have offered as a sacrifice was whose bull? God's. And every single dollar that I would ever give God is whose dollar? God's. And every time I would use my energy or sacrifice my time, whose energy, whose time? His. Right? He gave me the energy. He's given me the time. And if I think that I'm giving it to him like he needs it, I've fallen into the same kind of pattern where my pride can even start to impact my thanksgiving in relation to God, not counting how it can impact my interaction with each other. Right? So we, we start to see that this pride issue is a big deal. So when we start to think about thanksgiving, one of the things it's going to do is start to break that in us. And so one of the reasons why Jesus gets so upset with these nine is why did they not give thanks? Maybe because they thought they deserved it. And so pride is one of those dangerous, dangerous things inside of us that can corrupt all parts. And, and God's going to come very much against that and say, just remember, everything you have is something I've given you. And you can use that for a lot of different directions, good or bad. But the other habit of the heart that is dangerous to thanksgiving is the, is the habit of envy. Right? We have a tendency not to see envy. So, so pride can camouflage itself, but envy can kind of like hang out in a corner and you don't notice it's there. So when we think of envy and jealousy, we have a tendency to put it in two kinds of categories. In my world, it involves little children fighting over toys, right? being envious of each other's stuff. And then also in my world is like the classic high school boyfriend or something who just doesn't want to give opportunity away for, to spend time with this girl or whatever. And we have a tendency to put it like that. It's like, oh, envy's out there without recognizing that envy is actually inside of here. And envy is one of those things that gets dangerous because we think sometimes that envy is built on circumstances, that things that I, I want haven't happened to me. But how many of you have wanted something or been envious of something and then got it and found that you were still envious of other things? Like getting that thing didn't satisfy the envy in your heart. Ever been there? Because envy is not built on circumstances. And really, getting things doesn't take away our envy. The only thing I've found that really makes me feel good when envy is in play here is when bad things happen to the people I'm envious of. Isn't that creepy? Isn't that a little bit sick? Maybe it's just me, right? Confessing sins in church. But here's the thing. If you're struggling with your weight and that thin girl gains weight, how do you feel? A, a little better. 
right? You're driving a beater car and that guy with the sports car wrecks it. How do you feel? A little better, right? You're a, you're a, you see the A, plus, the a plus student get a C minus. You feel a little better. Why? Because we're sick. <laughs> we're sick in our hearts. And again, it's very hard to be thankful for what I have when I have my eyes fixed on what you have. So now here's my next little science experiment. Today's science experiment day. I want you to flip over your notes if you have them. There should be a dollar sign on three of them. And I'm hoping this works. If you raise your hand, if you have a dollar sign on the back of your notes, should be handwritten. We got one. Good. There should be two more. I might have to just pick random people, but this doesn't work as well. Come on up. You're a contender, Leah. I promise you're going you're gonna to wish it was you. Maybe. No, no luck, huh? So if you open it, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I see a big dollar sign not written in my handwriting. That's okay. Come on up, Noah. You're, you're good as good as contender as any. I know. Just come on up. It'll be fine. And Josh, no? You sure, Josh? Positive. You don't even know what this is. You sure? You're gonna pass the buck to Hunter. All right, Hunter, come on up. Your brother's volunteering you. All right, here we go. Oh boy. Let's see here what I'm going to do. All right, I'm going to give this one to you. I'm going to give this one to you. I'm going to give this one to you. Okay, so these are my gifts. You may open your gifts. Oh, look at this. Noah got a dollar. Five dollars. Five dollars. Twenty-five Now here's the thing, Noah. If this was like a big deal, is it possible that you could start to look at Hunter and be like, that's not fair? Yeah? And, and what about you, Leo? Oh, of course. <laughs> that's not fair. Like, what does Hunter get 25 for? And I just randomly decided to give it. Now, normally there would have been no competing, right? Or, see, Austin, this could have been you. <laughs> So here's the thing. It's possible that Noah could start to look at Hunter and be like, what's up with that? Leah, the same way. But who's their problem really with? Yeah. Yeah. Me. All right, you guys can take a seat. And you can keep your money. I'm, I'm, just, I'm rich like that. <laughs> See, there you go, Noah, being brave, right? Coming up, you got a dollar. Now here's the thing. There has been times where Noah might have needed a dollar from me and I would have given it to him and he would have been very thankful for that. Because in all reality, Noah is a dollar richer than he was when he walked in the door. But is it possible that he will actually be less thankful now? Because he got a dollar, but Hunter got $25. What's up with that? And here's what envy really does. It, it makes us think that the problem is this way. But when it comes to envy, who's the problem really with? It's God. Because could he have given you X, Y, and Z? He could have, but he didn't. And so one of the things that perhaps we can start to think about in coming to grips with how do I learn to be thankful is to recognize that maybe some of my issues are actually with God himself. And maybe to start a conversation with him versus looking at the people around us who have so much more than I have and getting upset about that. So gratitude starts with maybe a recognition of the dangers of pride and the impact of envy. 
and to realize that all of that is an issue ultimately, not with my circumstances, not with my spouse, and not with my neighbors, not with my little resources or lots of resources. My real issue rests in who God is. And so this has been a struggle, right? And so now the sermon's gonna get hard as if it wasn't difficult already because here's the problem. We have to deal with the difficulty of giving thanks, the difficult of gratitude. Because so far, everything I've said has been more about giving thanks for the positive things in our lives and being thankful and grateful for the blessings, the things we recognize and the things that we don't deserve. But here's where we're gonna draw a little bit of line because we're gonna enter into dark territory here for a minute. For those of you who are not following Christ, you get to kind of sit back and watch this for a second. But for those of you who would name Jesus as your Lord and actually believe that everything here is true for me, then we have to go some, to a dark place. And it's a place that's a struggle because I look around this room and there's a lot of issues here, right? A lot of hurt and a lot of pain. But here is what the text does not allow us to do. It does not allow us to just say thank you for the good things and the blessing things, right? First Thessalonians 5.18 forces us to walk into the dark places. And here's what First Thessalonians 5.18 says. Give thanks in what? all circumstances for this is God's will for you key point in Christ Jesus how in the world do we give thanks in all circumstances now I think it's super important to draw the distinction between in and for we are not called to give thanks for the bad circumstances but we are called to give thanks in the circumstances now, I, this is where I'm really glad I researched and talked to Janet, because Janet's 93 and I'm 37. Now, I'm three years away from Pastor Jeff's magic number of 40, when people suddenly respect you and life gets really easy. That's what I hear. <laughs> but I'm 37, and I've had my issues, my trials, but I'm only 37. And so, in one way, I don't have authority outside of Scripture to say, you can give thanks in all circumstances, but Janet does. And so I called her up a couple weeks ago and I asked her if I could interview her and I wanted to tell this pretty funny story because I called her and I was like, Janet, this is Zach Justice. And she's like, Ann? And I was like, no, this is Zach Justice. She's like, oh, are you close? You want to come visit? And I was like, I'm super close. I would love to come visit. And she's like, all right, Ann, I'll see you soon. I'm like, this isn't Ann. <laughs> this is still Zach. And so she's like, oh. And so I get there and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be interviewing Janet about a very hard subject. And she doesn't even remember who I am. She doesn't remember that I'm close to her house because I'm near the church. I walk in the door and then Janet tells me, I didn't have my, ear, my hearing aids in. I couldn't hear you very well. And then I was very relieved because everything that follows is from Janet's very sharp 93-year-old mind. And you can take it to the bank that uh, what she says is authentic and true. And so I interviewed her and I asked her this question, how in the world do we give thanks in all circumstances? How do you do that? And so I'm just gonna basically read um, our, our conversation that we had and then we'll come back to the text and, and, and start to wrap up. So I said, how have you learned this? And here's what she said. She said, rarely in the moment was I thankful. Oh, let me get the picture up, there we go. Rarely in the moment was I thankful. That never happens naturally, but in hindsight, I've been able to learn to do this. When my son walked away from the Lord, I was devastated. I could not thank God for this trial. But now I am able to thank God because my son is a much better pastor and is able to relate to people better for having gone through his rebellion. And when I was in a car accident with Jack, my husband, I broke my neck. I heard a loud crack and all I could see was Jack bleeding from his head wound and I thought he was going to die that day. 
And all I could say in my heart was, Jesus, I know that you love me. And because I knew that he did, I was able to make it through this trial. I was able to thank God for all of his people who supported us through our recovery. And later, when Jack finally did die, Christ drew close to me. I had to learn to lean on him. And I could learn to say thank you later because everything in life that comes from him is good. And the trials reveal his goodness to us. Trust is the key here. It's all that I know. And so that brings me comfort. Because she's had almost 100 years of life and she's had her trials and her situations and she can attest to the fact that it is possible to learn to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, not for the circumstances, but in the circumstances. And I take comfort in the fact that it's something that she learned and in the minute and in the moment she couldn't, but she learned to. And so when Paul says that this is for our good, here's what he's saying. If we are unthankful, there is an issue there that is shaking its fist at God and is actually keeping his grace from entering into my life, which is what none of us ultimately want. Thankfulness in the circumstances and not for the circumstances. Because I think most of us, we kind of want to go through life with the idea of a smorgasbord. So I just went to Lancaster, which is like the biggest smorgasbord in the world, I think. So I hear, not my thing, I feel like I'm getting ripped off because I can never eat enough to make it worth it. But that aside, we want to be like in the smorgasbord. We kind of want to go through life saying, I have a little bit of that. I'm going to skip the vegetables. I'd like a double portion of this. And then when we get to the end and they ring us up, we give them our money and we say, thank you to the lady and we move about our, our life. But God does not work like that, does he? He's much more like the lunch lady at my junior high cafeteria, right? So you walk up with your tray and they give you what they want in the portion that they want. And you can ask for another roll. She may give it to you and she may not. And God gives us what he chooses to give to us. And at the end of the day, when we get to the end, can we still say, thank you for what you've given to me? And here's where we're going to start to wrestle with how do we do that, right? Because again, it's not being thankful for the broccoli. It's not being thankful for the pain. It's being thankful because of a few realities that are there in the pain. And so here's what the key is, right? To give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we, if we stop the sermon right here, you'd all walk out with either a very stoic, like just grin and bear it perspective or depressed. Because like how in the world are you going to give thanks for pain in your life? How could you possibly do that? That might even be psychologically unstable to try to do that. But here's where it's going to start to reveal something because Jesus both shows us the way and is the way to being able to give thanks in all circumstances. And so the place we're going to look here is the Last Supper. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Jesus gives thanks and then breaks the bread. And in fact, the word Eucharist, which is often associated with the Last Supper, is that word for thanksgiving. It comes from the word charis, which is grace and joy. He is gratefully joyfully giving thanks for breaking bread. Now, what is he actually thanking for? It's not the bread that he's giving thanks for. Because what's he go on to say about that bread? This is my body, broken for you. So here's what he's saying to us. I am giving thanks because my body is about to be broken for you. And I'm about to be damned to hell temporarily for you. Because... By me being broken, I'm able to give my grace to sinners and provide them an opportunity to have a relationship with me and the Father forever. 
so that their joy won't be found in the circumstances, but their joy will be found in us. And our joy, the joy of the Father and the Son, can become their joy in us. So you see what he's doing here? He's giving thanks in the circumstance. He does not give thanks for the cross per se. It says he scorned the cross and the shame that it brought, but is able to look through the cross and give thanks to the Father in a sense for the cross because what it's going to give him. It gives him you and me. He is the only way that we can keep our eyes fixed and be able to say, I can give thanks for my circumstances, whether they're good or bad. Because Jesus gave thanks for his circumstances, and in fact, the worst circumstances he ever experienced in his life are the very means that bring joy and possibility of salvation to us. We give thanks because he gave thanks. And we give thanks because we trust that the will of God for the Son was for him to die. And we give thanks that the will of God for us is to be with Christ in suffering. Because we know there's something coming on the other end. And that's where Janet said, it's all I know. It's what I have to trust in. That at the end, I will see. And in this time, maybe I won't. You know, Janet's story is wonderful because she's able to see some positive things that came about. But there might be things that happen to us that we don't see the positive things that come out in this life. But we hope and trust and believe by faith that what Jesus said is true. That you follow me and I will walk with you to the end. This is God's will for you in and with Christ Jesus. Because Christ on the cross is going to be by himself, broken, solo, away from everyone who loved him, including his father. But that's never going to be true for you and for me. Now, he may not give us the reasons and the answers, right? He may give us a double, a double helping of green beans and say, eat it. And we may not want to say thank you for that. But that's the challenge. And again, for those of us who claim to walk with Christ and know him, this is what he's calling us to do to say that we give thanks not for the circumstances, but for a person. And so when Paul challenges us to this, it's not that evil doesn't exist, and it's not that injustice doesn't exist, and it's not those things we're giving thanks for. We're giving thanks that God can use injustice and he can use evil for a plan that is so far above us that we can't even begin to comprehend. And that's where we fix our eyes, right? We have to have something, or bitterness and envy and greed is going to rule us. Maybe not, maybe not obviously out here, but inside the heart, it will rule us. And so he's able to look at the cross and see good in it. Can we do the same? Not because the cross itself is so amazing, but because of what it represents, because of what it's going to do in our lives, both Christ's cross and the crosses that we will carry throughout this life. Both of them are tools in the master's hands for a good outcome for us. So whether, you know, our circumstances are Gettysburg or Appomattox, to go back to the beginning, bloody battles or peace, whether our circumstances are a Thanksgiving Thursday holiday or a mundane Monday tomorrow, we can give thanks in all circumstances, not because of some weird thing in us, but because of who we're with. So I want to conclude here um, with a couple homework assignments, the other the other side of your sheets is 10 things. And what I'd like to do is I, I'm not going to explain them all. I think most of them are self-explanatory. But what I want to challenge you to do is maybe spend 30 seconds. And if you want to make this a family thing, I would encourage you to do it. But pick something this week off of this list of 10 things that you would actively do. And I'll give you 30 seconds to read through. The only one I think I need to explain is the thankful tree. And that involves cutting out leaves. 
if you're creative. And then basically your whole family writes down one thing they're thankful for different every day and then you just stick it up. What we do, we stuck it up on our like archway in our kitchen. And you, or you can make your own tree, you can put it up on a wall, but basically the idea of giving thanks as a family and writing it down and making it different things for the, for the whole week. The rest I'll give you 30 seconds or so just to, to peruse, but I wanna encourage you to pick one of them or two of them to do. And then I'll close. So gratitude is the attitude of our heart. Thankfulness is the action that comes out of that. And one of my hopes for us is if our hearts are not naturally filled with gratitude, perhaps learning to give thanks may actually start to transform our heart. Because if we wait till we feel like doing something, we're never gonna do anything that's worth doing. But if we start to take those steps, then perhaps the attitude and the core nature of who we are might actually start to experience transformation by His grace. So I want to really encourage you this week um, to pick one, and as a family or as an individual, to put them into practice. Do something this week to, to practice being thankful with the hope that we might become people who are filled with gratitude in order that we may grow in humility, receive more grace, and be able to be even more thankful. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your cross. Uh, that you were willing to go through such pain and abandonment, separation, Lord, that we may have an opportunity to, to walk with you and have your strength to go through it. And Lord, I know there's some things that have been said that would be impossible for us to do without your help. Lord, I think about all the different suffering, the things I know about, and all the areas that I don't even know about, but you do. Lord, may we be able to wrestle with this concept. May you be able to bring it to our hearts and minds. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We, we call on you to give us strength to help to do this. We wanna, Lord, be thankful people because we recognize that you have given us so much. And Lord, we just wanna thank you again for all that you've given. May we become increasingly a more thankful group of people as we, as we grow up and mature, both physically and spiritually. In your name we pray, amen.